0: Many of you remember uh, Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. Yeah, yeah. Well, what Sloan gave you was the rest of the story, and now you have heard the rest of the story, this sort of end of chapter two of, of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah going back to Jerusalem, helping to rebuild Jerusalem, his beloved city which is in ruins, his beloved city which has been destroyed, his family, his heritage, literally his identity. But there's a beginning to this story in the first part of chapter 2. At that time, Nehemiah says, I was a cupbearer to the king. In the 20th year of the king of Artaxerxes, who was at that time the king of Persia, and Israelites lived in exile, and Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, which meant that he had a pretty good job. You had to be pretty trusted to be the cupbearer to the king. Uh, The king trusted you with that drink that you weren't going to put anything in it to take him out. And you also took the first sip. If you happened to go out before the king did, well, then the king got something else to drink and your job is over for good. So Nehemiah says, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. And since I had never seemed sad in his presence, the king asked me, why do you seem so sad? Since you aren't sick, you must have a broken heart. I was very afraid and replied, may the king live forever. Why shouldn't I seem sad when the city, the place of my family's graves, is in ruins and its gates destroyed by fire? And the king asked, what is it that you need? I prayed to the God of heaven and I replied, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, please send me to Judah, to the city of my family's graves, so that I may rebuild it. And then the rest of chapter 2 has the king supplying everything that Nehemiah needs, and he goes and he helps to rebuild this wonderful city, and that's all that Nehemiah is about. So, bringing these two together. This has been a tough week. It's been a tough week for America. It's been an emotionally exhausting week. And I don't think I'm the only one that has felt it. I've been wrestling all week with how to be present to folks and how to listen as well as to process my own feelings. I was running an errand on Thursday, I think it was, and I had this moment when I came to this realization, and this is what I heard, don't tell folks how to feel or what to feel. Just let them you're kind of an anxious person like me at times, when there's anxiousness and fear and tension, we we quickly want to help folks process their feelings by telling them how they may be able to feel. But that doesn't often honor their journey. Being present is still the key. So I decided just to take a step back, and I just decided people have to feel what people need to feel, whatever they're feeling. What I can do, though, is talk about what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling what I'm feeling, and how I feel God has been with me and speaking to me in this place. Now, I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to get anxious. I'm not going to make a case for anything. This is just a very personal message. It's a very pastoral message, I hope. I think it is. I had Linda look over it last night. She signed off on it. So if you have a problem with it, see her. I chose this Nehemiah passage because in many ways I feel like Nehemiah. Not that I have a cupbearer job to the king or anything like that or a trusted position, but I feel like Nehemiah in this one place. As you heard me read, he comes to the king and he describes to the king, my beloved city of Jerusalem is in ruins. The place of my family's graves is in ruins. Its gates are destroyed by fire. In other words, there are just big issues and problems, Nehemiah says. The king says, why do you seem sad? You must Have a broken heart. You aren't sick. And then he begins to say why he feels that way. And I love the book of Nehemiah for his courage, his leadership, and his ability to mobilize this group of folks toward this common goal and good work. But most of all, I admire and love Nehemiah at this point in his time for his vulnerability and his willingness to bear his soul. And as I thought about sharing what I feel, the scene in Nehemiah's life came to mind. I feel sad. I feel like Nehemiah. I'm not sick, but my sadness comes like Nehemiah from a broken heart. I don't want you to pity me. I don't want you to listen to it as if, what are you going to do for Scott after this is over? I want you to hear the sadness. So I listened deeply as best as I could to this brokenness, and I realized it came from a few of these places. My heart is broken at this lack of civility that we've all witnessed not just in the last few days, but in the few months leading up to this past week. It seems as if we've become a sort of I'll-say-whatever-I-want-to-say society without any regards to a constructive conversation. We've ceased to honor one another in our conversations. And as Quakers, we've ceased to honor that of God in each person in our conversations. My heart's broken at the relationships I have seen splintered and sometimes severed because they find out they have different political beliefs or they voted differently or they have different theological beliefs. In this way, we've become a sort of all-or-nothing society, which we have to agree on everything or there can be nothing between us. My heart's broken at the increase of violence, hate, and even intolerance that seems so prevalent in our society. And not just now, but maybe more so, but in previous years, of violence and hate built on the foundations of fear, a really deep mistrust which leads us to fearing the other. And unfortunately, this is nothing new. It's been percolating. It's been under the surface. And it breaks my heart. My heart is broken at the inability for even Christians to find a way forward in reconciliation and peacemaking. We are the ones. We are the ones that claim to know the Prince of Peace. We are the ones that claim to know what it means to be forgiven, yet we are the ones that seem so addicted to division and separation. And even among Quakers, one of the historic peace churches, you all know for the last two years, we have not even been able to find our own way through. And that breaks my heart. And that makes me sad. And my heart is broken that all the while we fight these internal battles and we fear one another, there are those who are the most vulnerable, the most marginalized, the most lonely and forgotten and neglected. And I don't mean the homeless people. I don't necessarily mean folks like that, but I mean even folks in their homes who are by themselves, who never get a phone call, who never see a neighbor, who never get a visit. We're the ones that have the energy. We are the ones that have the resources to help our communities flourish, but our energies are often expended in less constructive ways. But it's not just the larger issues of the world and society that breaks my heart, and I know it breaks your heart too. I know it does. I know you all very well. Maybe better than you realize. Maybe not as, bad, as good as you think. But I know it breaks your heart. But there's other things that break it as well. The losses we've experienced over the last couple of years as a meeting, and some of these losses are more personal to you than even to me because it's your family or it's your close friends. And I watch you journey through that, and I watch you grieve through that, and it does break my heart, and it makes me sad. It makes me sad for you. The challenges some of you are facing, whether it be physical, a physical condition or a doctor's report you just got in the last few weeks or this emotional struggle or anxiousness or depression, even the challenges couples face in their marriages and the challenges that sometimes just make it hard for the marriage to continue, that breaks my heart. It's sad when that happens and it breaks my heart to see people struggle so and they don't know what to do with it and they don't know where to take it. And sometimes the way fear has gripped us because life feels so uncertain. Now, these two really do break my heart. And by the way, if you just hang on with me, it's going to get better, okay? So, I promise. But my heart is broken over those who feel that they're of no worth or value. They can't seem to receive the love God has for them because they feel their past failures or their past mistakes are so great that God's capacity to love them and forgive them is non-existent. And so they live with that shame and guilt all their life, and they almost choose to live with it and not let go, but because they just cannot comprehend God's love for themselves. Or they're inwardly wounded, but yet feel as if God would reject them if they shared that woundedness with God. And boy, that really does break my heart sometimes, because there's nothing more freeing than to know that we are forgiven and that God loves us regardless whatever you plan on doing tomorrow that you think will break, that God is already ahead of you in that and is going to love you. And my heart breaks over those who feel they have nothing of value to offer. They they languish with no purpose or energy, no sense of feeling fully alive because they feel they just don't matter to God or anyone else. And for that reason, their life ceases to flourish. They're just here biding time. They have died long before they died. There's just no life or energy. And that always does break my heart because all of us have so much to offer, so much to give, so much to contribute. We didn't just get put on this earth to exist. We got put on this earth to contribute in a way that brings life and energy and hope to everything around us and adds to us as well. Now, I'm not a basket case, and I don't say all that to want to make it all about me mainly because I suspect that my heart is not the only one that breaks at times. And my heart is not the only one that is sad at times. But I really do take heart. And I really am heartened, and I am encouraged, and I'm not in despair for a few reasons. And here they are. I really do believe, and not because I just get paid to believe it, but I really do believe in this power of the resurrection to bring life out of death or to bring life out of deadness. The resurrection is this defining story of our Christian faith that reminds us that just when we think it's all dead, just when we think it's failed, or just when we think it's over, just when we think our hopes have been sold down the river, just when we think darkness has prevailed and will will remain that way, the resurrection reminds us that life can spring forth, that new life is possible, that you literally cannot bury hope and keep it down. It will come back up again. And I believe the reality of the resurrection is this energizing force that exists, and as we open our hearts and our souls to it, we become people of light and hope and reconciliation. And I absolutely believe that God has that dream for this world. That's what gets me up in the morning. It's what keeps me going when I'm just dead tired and my soul just feels drained. I remember back to that story after three days. They came and they looked inside this tomb and nothing was there and life had sprung forth. And now there was this new creation. And I absolutely believe it can happen. I really believe that God puts people in our path and in our life that becomes the gracious hand of God in our life. This was the case for Nehemiah. The king asked him what he needed. Nehemiah told him, and the king gave it to him. And Nehemiah saw it as, quote, God's gracious hand and power in his life. I believe that God has put people in my life, and God will put people in your life, and God will put people in our life that will look and feel like God's gracious hand on our lives. And I believe that God will use us to be in other people's lives as well. That we will be the ones that will cross people's path when they most need it even when they have prayed for it or not prayed for it, and we will be that gracious hand of God upon their life. And I believe God does that. And I really do believe that whatever brokenness we may feel, whatever sadness, even if we don't feel that, and you may not feel that this morning, that's okay. Whatever we feel, that we're called to help rebuild what is ruined, to use the language of Nehemiah, in our communities and in our our neighborhoods, however We come at it. I really do believe that God puts visions and dreams in our heart that make it possible. Just like he put a vision and dream in Nehemiah's heart to rebuild Jerusalem. And he went and he told the folks what they could do. He gave them this vision. He gave them this this dream of what Jerusalem could look like. And they said, what? Let's all begin this good work. We all have a good work to do. We as a meeting have a good work to do. God will put that dream and vision in our heart and we'll come at it in our own unique way with our own unique gifts, maybe writing, making music, working with kids, building, volunteering, tutoring, building relationships with your neighbors, getting active in a community group. I have no idea what it is, but I believe God will provide a way and make a way. And for our part at Deep River Friends, we'll we'll keep doing it. We'll do the angel tree. I've got about 12 names over in my office on little cards through the Salvation Army of kids that just want toys. For them, that means happiness in this one time of year where they may not have it. We'll do that. We'll be the ones this year at Christmas that will bring that little part of joy to these children's lives. We'll keep doing open-door shelter in Leslie's house. We'll raise money to the poinsettia tree that you're going to see up here in a couple of weeks, and we'll, we'll put beautiful flowers on that. We'll have a white flower on there, and we'll have a special donation probably given to Shriners and to Special Olympics of High Point. We'll keep pouring our lives into one another as best as we can and praying for one another because I know there are those in this congregation that want prayer, and I know you want to know people are praying for you. Even if you didn't ask for it this morning, I know you do. And we'll work hard and hear each other's stories and get to know one another in a deeper way. We'll practice First Corinthians 13 as if it really matters and not just as some pretty poem at a wedding. And I apologize if you had it at your wedding. We probably did, too. I can't remember. That was a long time ago. But go back and read that 1 Corinthians 13. If you take it out of the wedding context, that is powerful stuff for people seeking to live together in faith and in community. And we'll keep seeking ways to help each other flourish so our community can flourish. So, yeah, I get sad. My heart is broken, but it doesn't last forever. But here's the thing. I would be more worried if my heart never broke. I would be more worried if my heart never got sad. Because if my heart never broke and it never got sad, then I wouldn't be feel again. And if I wouldn't feel again, I wouldn't feel pain and what other people feel and how we can be present to them and how God can help them and how we can bring hope. I worry more when my heart doesn't break. I worry more when I don't get sad anymore. Indifference is the greatest killer of the spiritual journey. Indifference is the greatest killer of the kingdom of God. And if you need anything to kind of help jumpstart you, then find a way to bring joy to someone. And I had this experience this past week, and I'll just end on this. We have a benevolence fund here in the meeting. And the meeting provides that, and many of you donate to it. Thank you very much. And the Benevolence Fund is often used to help people out in pretty difficult times financially, utility bills, payments, other things, and often we do it on recommendation. Um, that helps to know that there's a personal contact and a personal connection, and in some ways, if you will, there's a little bit of vetting that goes on, but that really helps that we know the context. So I got a call this past week, and we had a family that needed some help with the utility bill. Needed help with the car payment. It was a very tough place that they're in. There's some sickness in the family, some layoffs. And so I connected with them, and I didn't want them to drive all the way up here. And I said, I tell you what, we'll meet you. I'd only, been, I'd only talked to the wife a couple times. I hadn't been able to talk to the husband yet. Didn't know these folks. We kind of did the here's our cell number thing. Here's what my car looks like. Here's what your car looks like. And we met at a sheet station in High Point halfway. So I get there, and I find them. And uh, after about 15, 20 minutes of looking around the parking lot, finding a park in the back, and I walk over there. And, uh, and, and, and the husband is in the driver's side, and I'd never met this man before, but he was kind of big, kind of almost intimidating in, in some ways, and wasn't sure how he was going to receive this, wasn't sure who was in on this and what the story was, but I knew that I had talked to uh, the wife. So he rolled his window down and... I leaned down, and I said, hey, how are you doing? Introduced myself. We made the connections, and I gave him the envelope, and and she was very gracious, very, very, very gracious. And he just kept looking at me. He just kept looking at me, and I thought, something's not connecting here. And all of a sudden, he just takes off his seatbelt and he throws open the door, and I'm kind of startled, and he comes right at me, and I'm like, he is not happy about this. And he grabs me, and he gives me this big hug, and he just starts crying. And he just starts saying, thank you. thank. It's that kind of hug, you know, where your face is kind of like this, you know, and, and, my, and my glasses were like this, and, and I think he actually picked me up off the ground, you know, and, and then he sent me back down again. And he just thanked me and thanked us. And in that moment, all the brokenness and sadness disappeared. It really did. Because I thought this is really what it's all about. If we can find ways to do that, and if we can find ways to be present to that for each other, for our communities, for our world, through deeper of a friends, through your own individual calling. Don't be afraid to have your heart broken. Don't be afraid to be sad. Don't be afraid to feel but don't be afraid to step out and begin reaching out again in love and compassion and service, whatever you want to call it, to bring joy and hope to people. Because I dare say that's the only way we're going to make it. That's the way we're only going to make it not only as individuals but as a human race is if we're able to live that out in our everyday world right where we are.